0: volume two chapter eight of a charming fellow this librivox recording is in the public domain a charming fellow by francis eleanor trollope volume two chapter eight meanwhile rhoda at duckwell farm supposed herself to be too unhappy to care much for anything she did not have a fever nor fall into a consumption nor waste away visibly but she passed hours crying alone in her room or sitting idle handed whilst her thoughts languidly retraced the past or strove to picture what sort of lady algernon's wife might be headaches, pallid cheeks, and red eyes resulted from these solitary hours. mrs Seth Maxfield wondered what had come to the girl, having no suspicion that young Errington's marriage could be more to Rhoda than an interesting subject for gossip. Old Jonathan went over to Duckwell immediately after receiving the first newspaper sent by mrs Errington from Westmoreland the announcement of the intended wedding had taken him wholly by surprise it would be hard to say whether wrath or amazement predominated in his mind on first reading a paragraph which mrs errington had so complacently marked with red ink but it is not at all hard to say which feeling predominated within an hour after having read it according to old max's judgment there was not one extenuating circumstance in algernon's behaviour not one plea to be urged on his behalf utter vindictive anger filled the old man's soul as he read he had been deceived played upon laughed at by this boy that was the first and perhaps the most venomous of his mortifications but many other stinging thoughts rankled in his mind david powell had been right that was almost unendurable as to rhoda old max could not in the mood he was then in contemplate her being bowed down by grief and disappointment he would have her raise her head, and revenge herself on her faithless lover. He would have her successful, admired, and prosperous. He would have her trample on Algernon's pride and poverty with all the insolence of wealth. Even his beloved money, so hardly earned, so eagerly hoarded, seemed to him, for the first time in his life, to be of small account in comparison with a sentiment. He took his Bible and gloated over the menaces of vengeance and threats of destruction future condemnation was no doubt in store for algernon errington but that was too vague and too distant a prospect to appease old max's stomach for revenge he wanted to see his enemy in the dust and that his enemy should be seen there by others in the midst of his reading he suddenly recollected the acknowledgment he held of algernon's debt to him and jumped up and ran to his strong-box to feast his eyes on it it seemed almost like a clear leading from on high that the i o u should come into his head just then old max thought he was not the first nor the worst man who has wrested scripture into the service of his own angry passions then he sent to order a gig from the Blue Bell and set out for duckwell farm i hope your father isn't sickening for any disease or going to get a stroke or something said betty grimshaw to her nephew james but i never see anybody's face such a colour out of their coffin it's a greeny grey that's what it is and he was frowning like thunder but jonathan maxfield's disorder was not of the body he arrived at duckwell unexpectedly but his arrival did not cause any particular surprise he had business transactions to discuss with his son seth to whom he had advanced money on mortgage and then there was rhoda staying at the farm and of course her father would like to see rhoda rhoda was called from her own room and came down pale and nervous she dreaded meeting her father did he or did he not know the news from westmoreland it had only come to Duckwell Farm by means of Mr. Pockin's servants, it might possibly not yet have reached Whitford. On his side old Max took care to say nothing about the Applethwaite Advertiser. He had destroyed that journal before leaving home, placing it in the the heart of the kitchen fire, and holding it there with the poker until the remains of it fluttered up the chimney in black impalpable fragments. But old Max had brought another document in his pocket, which had been placed in his hand just as he was starting in the gig it was a letter directed to Miss Rhoda Maxfield, High Street, Whitford, and this he pulled out almost immediately on seeing Rhoda. A glance at her face sufficed to show him that she was unhappy and dispirited. She has heard it, he thought, and something like an anathema upon Algernon followed the thought in his mind. The old man's countenance was not so clearly read by his daughter. Indeed, she hardly raised her eyes to his, but received his kiss in silence. I'm afraid, father, you'll not find Rhoda's looks doing us credit, said Mrs. Seth, Why or wherefore, I don't know, but these last days she has been as peaky as can be. It's the heat, maybe, said old Max shortly, and withdrew his own and mrs Seth's attention from the girl, as she read the letter he handed to her. Rhoda was grateful for this forbearance on her father's part, although it fluttered her, too, a little, as proving that he was aware of the cause of her dejection, and anxious to shield it from observation. The letter was from Minnie Bodkin. She had written it almost immediately on hearing of Algernon's intended marriage. It invited Rhoda, if her father would consent, to visit the Bodkins during the remainder of their stay at the seaside. There was no word of allusion to the Erringtons in the letter. Minnie only said, "Mamma and I remember that your cheeks had lost their roses somewhat when we left Whitford, and we think that a breath of sea-breeze may blow them back again. It is some time since you had complete change of air. Tell Mr. Maxfield we will take good care of you. And in a postscript Mrs. Bodkin had added in her small running hand, Do come, my dear, we shall be very glad to have you. Dr. Bodkin bids me send you his love. It had been no slight effort of self-conquest which had made Minnie Bodkin send for Rhoda, to stay with her at the seaside, and had enabled her to endure the girl's daily presence, and to stand her friend in word and deed throughout the weeks which succeeded the announcement of Algernon's marriage. To be kind to Rhoda at a distance would have been pleasant enough, minnie would willingly nay gladly have served the girl in any way which should not have necessitated frequent personal communion with her but she told herself unflinchingly that if she really meant to keep her promise to david powell she must do so at some cost of self-sacrifice the only efficacious thing she could do for rhoda was to take her away from whitford scenes and whitford people for a time to take her out of the reach of gossiping tongues and unsympathizing eyes and to give her the support of a friendly presence when she should be obliged to face whitford once more this would be efficacious help to Rhoda, and many resolved to give it to her. But it was a task to which she felt considerable repugnance. There was an invisible barrier between herself and pretty gentle winning Rhoda Maxfield. It is curious to consider of how small importance to most of us actions are, as compared with motives, and perhaps nothing contributes more to hasty accusations of ingratitude than forgetfulness of this truth." We are more affected by what people mean than by what they say, and by what they feel than by what they do. Only when meaning and feeling harmoniously inform the dry husk of words and deeds can we bring our hearts to receive the latter thankfully, however kind they may sound or seem to uninterested spectators. The egotism of most of us is too exacting to permit of our judging our friend's behavior from any abstract point of view, and to be done good to, for somebody else's sake, or even for the sake of a lofty principle seldom excites very lively satisfaction thus rhoda reproached herself for the unaccountable coldness with which she received miss bodkin's kindness having only a dim consciousness that miss bodkin's kindness was prompted by motives excellent indeed but which had little to do with personal sympathy with herself she silently handed the letter to her father and turned away to the window mrs seth bustled out of the room saying that she must get ready a snack of something for mr maxfield after his drive and the father and daughter were left alone together jonathan maxfield's face brightened wonderfully as he read minnie's gracious words a glow of pleasure came over his hard features but it was not a very agreeable sort of pleasure to behold being considerably mingled with malicious triumph here was a well-timed circumstance indeed what could powell or such as powell say now let the erringtons behave as they might it was clear henceforward that rhoda had not been received amongst gentlefolk solely on their account his girl was liked and made much of for her own sake well said he this is a very pretty letter of miss minnie's very pretty indeed he did not allow his voice to express his exultation but spoke in his usual harsh grumbling tones "'Yes,' answered Rhoda tremulously, "'it is very kind of Miss Minnie, and of dear Mrs. Bodkin, wonderfully kind. But I don't think I want to go, father.' "'Not want to go? Nonsense! That's mere idle nonsense. Of course you will go. I shall take you down by the coach myself.' "'Oh, thank you, father, but I really don't want change. I don't care about going to the seaside.' The old man turned upon her almost savagely. "'I say you shall go, you must go. Are you to creep into a hole like a sick beast of the field, and hide yourself from all eyes?' "'There, there,' he added in a gentler tone, drawing her towards him, as he saw the tears begin to gather in her eyes, "'I am not chiding you, Rhoda, but it will be good for you to accept this call from your kind friends. It will be good for mind and body. You will be quiet there amongst fresh scenes and fresh faces, and you will return to Whitford in the company of those gentlefolks.' who it is clear are minded to stand your friends under all circumstances seth's wife is a worthy woman but she is not a companion for you rhoda one phrase of this speech did seem to offer a glimpse of consolation to rhoda the promise namely of quiet and fresh scenes where she and her belongings were utterly unknown but her father did not know that Minnie bodkin understood her little love story from first to last and that Minnie bodkin's presence and companionship might not be calculated to pour the waters of oblivion into her heart Still, she reflected, a day must come, when she would have to face Miss Minnie, and all the other Whitford people who knew her. There was no chance of her dying at once, and being taken away from it all. And Rhoda's teaching had made her shrink from the thought of desiring death, as from something vaguely wicked. On the whole, it might be the best thing for her to go to the bodkins. She would better have liked to continue her solitary rambles in Pudcombe woods, or the meadows at Duckwell, only that now the pain awaited her every evening at the farm of hearing algernon's marriage discussed and speculated on she could not shut out the topic on the whole then it might be the best thing she could do to get away from whitford gossip for a time these considerations rhoda brought before her own mind not with any idea that they could avail to decide her line of conduct but by way of reconciling herself to the line of conduct she should be compelled to take it never entered her head that any resistance would be possible when once her father had said you must go very well father she answered meekly after a short pause the bodkins invitation was duly communicated to seth and his wife and it was arranged that rhoda should start from the farm without returning to whitford at all as a cross-road could be reached from duckwell where the coach would stop to pick up passengers if there's any garments you require beyond those you have here your aunt betty shall send them over by the carrier to-morrow said mr maxfield mrs seth protested not without a spice of malice that rhoda could not possibly want any more clothes for that she was rigged out already fit for a princess nevertheless there did arrive from whitford several fresh additions to rhoda's wardrobe enclosed in a brand-new black trunk studded with brass-headed nails and with the initials r m traced out in the same shining materials on the lid your father's well-nigh soft-headed about that girl said mrs seth to her husband as they stood watching the father and daughter drive away together h'm grunted seth his wife went on we may make up our minds as our little ones will never be a penny the better for your father's money. I'm as sure as sure it'll all go to Rhoda as to his will. You may be right, returned Seth, but I have good hopes that Father will cancel that mortgage he holds on the home farm if he does that, we mustn't growl too much.tis a good lump of money, and it would come a deal handier to me if I could have the land free now than if I waited for Father's death. He's tough, his father, and the Lord knows I don't wish him dead, neither in this way rhoda maxfield went down to the seaside place where the bodkins were staying spent about three weeks with them there and returned in their company to whitford to find mrs errington no longer an inmate of her father's house the old sitting-room decorated and refurnished very smartly and all the circle with whom she had become acquainted at dr bodkins on the tiptoe of expectation to behold the honourable mrs algernon errington whose arrival was looked forward to with an amount of interest only understood by those who have ever lived an unoccupied life in a remote provincial town. End of chapter eight.